Hello, welcome for the first time to the OGV Community Catch-Up, a new series of podcasts on OGV Energy. Uh, for many people who are not involved in the oil and gas industry, the energy industry can seem a bit sort of intimidating. So for this series, we wanted to shine a spotlight on some of the companies in our OGV community to find out exactly what they do from the perspective of a more general audience. I'm today's host, Andrew Tindall, and we're very lucky to be joined here today by Simon Smith of JS Subsea. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Not too bad. So, um, JS Subsea, so can you tell me a little bit about what your company does? Uh, yes, certainly. So, obviously, we're an oil and gas company primarily, uh, working with subsea control systems. Um, now, not only oil and gas, but we also do uh, renewable systems as well for higher voltage connections. But a lot of what we do is basically help our clients fix problems. Um, but a lot of what we've done is based around the reuse systems. So we developed uh, a basically a system initiative called Legacy Locker, where what we're doing is trying to recover and reuse equipment that has maybe been scheduled for either direct recycling back to scrappage or is sitting on the shelf because it's not configured the way our clients need. So a lot of what we do allows us to reconfigure these systems and recover them and then we refurbish, recertify with our qualified technicians in order to let them be put back on the shelf as available items for use. Okay, so basically just about sort of getting stuff and just getting it back to working order so you can extend the lifespan of it. Uh, effectively, yes. Um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it self-sustaining. So not only do we um, buy up equipment that's actually a way to be destroyed, what we also do is we, if we don't have anything to buy that's uh, secondhand, we also look at what our customers actually need and we identify what can be put on the shelf that they would use in the future anyway. So again, we can buy stocks of them in order to have them available because some of the equipment we're talking about for electrical connectors can, can have a, a, an over 16-week delivery time. And for hydraulic couplers, some of them you're talking 26 weeks in order to actually get one of the one of the items manufactured and delivered, which is, is a long time to wait if you've got a problem, especially. Yeah, I see. So so are you also sort of uh, renting some of that equipment, selling that equipment? Uh, yeah, we, we offer different options on it. So we we actually purchase and own uh, a lot of the legacy locker equipment ourselves. Uh, what we also do is we allow our clients to actually list their equipment with us that they've got available. So for quite a few of our clients, what we've actually done is they've had equipment maybe for a field that no longer exists for them, but they forgot they have the spares on the shelf. So the spares aren't actually useful for any of their other fields, but what we'll do is we'll let them trade them in and, and get something that is useful for themselves instead in order to actually get value for their money that they've already paid out. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, so you're based in Aberdeen? Uh, as how you have been for sort of the past 20 years, how much of your business is conducted in that area? Um, we, we are primarily North Sea. Uh, so the, the company, the, the, the name is slightly new, but it's, it's based on our old name. So we, our subsea engineering division, which has been based in DICE uh, for the last 20, 25 years, uh, was actually part of a larger company before. So we were actually part of a defense industry company where they looked at expanding, they expanded the, the engineering division and thought, where, where's the best place to do additional engineering? And obviously oil and gas, Aberdeen, 
uh, when, you're, when you're talking back 20, 30 years ago, was an obvious place to expand into. So as part of a larger company, we've been doing the oil and gas and renewables side for all that time, but the defense industry was their primary focus. So last year, we actually managed to do a of our division, uh, and we also moved ourselves out to a new facility in Kintor, which allowed us to all be in one big location with a nice big warehouse and a nice yard. And it means that we, we now support just the oil and gas and renewable industries and, and we get to, to have our own focus on what we want to expand into. So anything overseas? Uh, we've, we've done a bit. So we've had um, a few guys have actually gone overseas to do things. So we've got a job coming up where the guys are actually looking at mobilizing out of Norway uh, for some Norwegian sector work. Uh, we've had guys actually going to Africa. Previously, the guys have gone to India, uh, again, to support. Now, obviously, because we've just technically started just as ourselves, as a lot, much smaller company, we're, we're focusing on the on the UK side, get that going as well. But we've got a number of Sorry clients that are interested in using us in other places as well. Okay. Uh, I suppose we'll touch on it a little bit later, but uh, I know you also work a bit with marine renewables and that kind of offshore kind of stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Some of the uh, the technology in terms of uh, getting the power from the offshore renewables to shore? Uh, certainly. So we, we started off 15 years ago now, probably, that we, we first started. Um, the We started working with the EMEX site uh, up in Shetland. Uh, basically, they're a wave and tidal uh, facility that they, they've set up with a number of births that the idea was uh, EMEC would actually run the, the berths themselves. They've got a, an export power cable that runs to each of the locations where they've identified they can do a decent wave and tidal connection. Um, what we did at the original stage was we designed a, a dry mate, so uh, as in it mates above water, then gets put subsea in order to actually uh, be stay in connection. A dry mate connection that you can use it as a stop end so effectively, you put it on the end of the cable, the cable is then fully sealed in, you can drop it subsea and leave it there until they're ready to connect to it. And then what we've also done is supplied the other half of the connector and the, the support to actually go out on the boat, connect it up and actually connect up each of the generators when they need them uh, and have them exporting power back into the grid. Okay. So... Uh... Just to move on a little bit, uh, we've all obviously been hit pretty hard by the pandemic, both in sort of our personal lives and in and work lives. How has the pandemic affected affected you? Um, it's one of the things that's always been good about about us is our adaptability, uh, and I think this this last year, I, I, as you know, the, there's been so many changes, things that you've had to to look at and see different ways in order to work. So. For us, it, it kind of tied into a lot of what we do anyway. So we we are a small team. Uh, we're only 17 people uh, in, in the company overall. So what we did was the first thing we looked at was what we need to do to protect ourselves and our employees. So we basically looked at who could actually work from home and what they needed to be able to do that. We got people set up so that then they could do everything they needed to actually from a home site. So things like our, our BD team, our support coordination team, uh, then moved off-site in order to, to clear some more space for the people who had to be on-site. Um, for our technicians who actually work in the workshop, uh, we put up uh, barriers 
and uh, basically changed uh, scale and shift patterns so that we didn't have too many people in at a time. So it made them feel a bit safer about actually the work that they were doing as well. And we also then invested a lot in obviously the, uh, the sanitizing and, and cleaning equipment in order to keep the facility nice and, nice and clean and safe. So we bought this special fogging machine that actually treats uh, all the rooms and all the surfaces and effectively leaves a, a thin micro barrier that, that kills uh, things like COVID-19 and, and other, other germs. Um, some of the other stuff that, that we do is obviously we support a lot of offshore still with, with the work that we do. So the, the industry's changed a lot in, in how they're working and, and how they're looking at keeping people safe. So things like for an offshore uh, trip, for instance, now uh, the guys, before they actually go and join the boat or go on a helicopter, they'll actually be put into a hotel uh, for two, three days. The idea is you're then you're in the hotel for 24 hours, so you basically you you have to stay in your room, uh, so you're isolated from from any possible catching uh, germs and pandemic idea. Uh, then they bring your food and everything to you, which is nice. That's always good. Always good, yeah. Then you get tested. Uh, the basically the, the nurses come on site usually to the hotels. They do an actual COVID test, and then you go back to your room. And then within 24 hours, you get your, your results back that say you are safe to join the boat. Then everyone joins the boat. So it's to try and make sure that when you're on like an offshore installation where it's very much a, an insular enclosed area, you're not putting someone out there who is already carrying COVID in order that it's, it spreads very quickly when you're in such close quarters with people. So they, they changed a lot on how things were done then. Obviously with with a lot of the companies, as you've you've no doubt heard and seen over the last year, there's been a lot of changes as to what plans, especially the big companies have, because when, when they're not able to do maybe as quite as much as they could, they've had to scale back their own workforces, their own uh, proposed work scopes that they're actually going out on. So th- those sorts of ones have obviously reduced the amount of available work that, that is available for, for support companies like ourselves. But I think the, the way that we work and the things that we do, we, we excel in helping in like emergency short-term situations where you, you need something that you can't get from an original manufacturer because of timing, because of, because of cost, because of availability. And a lot of what we do with Legacy Locker actually really supports that. So it, it kind of kept us working solid all the way through uh, even even now, we, we've been actually working fairly solidly the entire time through and had fairly busy capacity. So obviously you've had a lot of business and that's like an enormous amount of infrastructure that goes into sort of putting these measures in place. Has that slowed things down a little bit just in terms of the actual logistics that it takes to get a project going? Um, not As I guess I said, not, not from our side. I mean, as obviously with the bigger companies, when they have to, to look at the amount of of work that they need to do, it, 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 certainly that way. But the way we are set up and the way we do our business, we've got we've got, as I said, a small team that that can that can set things up and actually run things fairly smoothly. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I actually joined the company originally, is I, I liked the idea that it was a smaller team, and effectively you, you could run everything from from start to finish. Whether it's the you can have the one person, one of the engineers, for instance, can actually assist with doing the quotation 
that actually goes out to the client. They'll then assist with the setup of it. They'll project manage it, and they could actually go into the workshop and actually help build, test it, and actually deliver it. So th those sort of things, because we've got a lot of cross-trained guys that can do every aspect of the job, it means that uh, we can keep our workflow actually fairly consistent all the way through. Okay. So so moving on and sort of staying on the topic of, uh, of the pandemic, right now we're doing this interview via Zoom or, so, or via video call, the kind of different to what we would normally be doing. And we had an interesting conversation at our subsea review event last week, uh, last month. And a lot of people seem to think that sort of remote working, especially in terms of subsea and, and offshore stuff, is almost the way forward. It's something we might see more of even after the pandemic. What do you think about that? I would definitely say so. I mean, the, the, the fact that you can so, so instantly uh, communicate with, with people and it's, it's not face-to-face, -face, but it is face-to-face -face with, with, with the video, um, you get to see a bit more of the, the personal side again because a lot of people, uh, as you can see, we're, we're sitting in our own home offices that we yeah. can see where the people are set up, what they're doing, which is, which is different. And you see them in their home environment Whereas a lot of the times it would be visits to, to on-site, organized conferences for, for, for meetings actually on-site, which, which is the way business was always done before. I think, yeah, I do seem to have, I think at the moment, roughly 60% of my week is usually booked into meetings. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it does seem like there's a lot more meetings because people are more open to actually having more meetings now, especially, mm -hmm. I think, when you were when you were doing work and you were working in amongst a team uh, in an office, I think it was very easy to to then just organize the meetings here and there where you needed them. You had your your response and your your interaction with people as part of your regular office day. And I think with the way things have changed, obviously with uh, with lockdown, with with working from home, that people, I mean, you've got people that have been in their home now for a year, and they maybe haven't even seen. A single person from their work since, since then and you're talking about the, the, this was part of their life they were there five days a week they were seeing across the desk from the same people that you, you would chat with them you'd have your coffee break and you'd, you'd have a, a talk to them so i think that there's a lot more openness now to actually taking more meetings uh, because of the fact that you want that interaction it's just human nature as part of it and, and a lot of the systems that they've put in place uh have helped with that. As I said, I think the most common phrase from the, the last year they said has been uh, your microphone's not muted or your microphone's yeah. not on because it, it just happens all the time. And again, it's, it's a little tension breaker thing that seems to happen quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's all very, very relatable. <laughs> even even today, uh, yeah. Um, so just to move on now to the environment. So obviously protecting the environment is is very big, especially in Scotland and in, in the uh, and in the UK. So we've seen a lot of focus from the government on the green recovery and getting investment into renewables. We've also seen quite ambitious targets of net zero emissions by 2050. So with all that in mind, what has your company been doing to become more environmentally sustainable? Uh, we've approached this fairly methodically uh, all the way through. I mean, we've always done our the, the standard things you do, the recycling, your you're getting all your systems set up to, to minimize the amount of waste that you actually do. So things like trying to change things as much as possible to uh, electronic and digital means rather than, than printed hard copy that you're, you're wasting resources that way. 
Um, the, the legacy locker one, yes, the primary part of it is, is reuse of equipment to, to help our clients. But I think it's also a, a, a social obligation to, to try and reduce the amount of new manufacture that we have to do. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's always going to be the, the need for new manufacture. I mean, everyone always still sees oil and gas, especially as a, a, a dirty industry. And I think there, there has been a lot of things looked at as to how you can change that. But the things you have to remember is that there's a lot of things stemmed from oil and gas that have also been really good. The, the advances in, 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 in treatments, chemicals, things that actually are, are for people's health that's helped this fund, funding across the board. But if we can do whatever we can to, to find a way to convert the industry so that you're not just rewriting effectively what's already in place. There's infrastructure throughout oil and gas that, that can be used for renewable systems to actually connect and tie back into. And it, surely it, it makes more sense to tie back into an infrastructure that's already there rather than install a completely new one, but that looks and acts a little bit shinier than, than what's already there. It doesn't quite make sense, but there, there's ways and means to, to make sure things like this work. Yeah, I can certainly see that. So obviously you touched on it there, the legacy locker is a very big part of your work. And it sort of ties into something I was reading on your website earlier about the, uh, the circular economy. So minimizing the creation of waste, pollution, carbon emissions, that kind of thing. So can you tell me a bit more about some of the specific things that that involves in the context of your company? Okay, um, so the main ones we've spoken about, so as I said, we, we do subsea control systems. So that, that's all about the, the connections, the distribution, and uh, especially subsea wet mate electrical connectors and hydraulic couplers. So they were the first things that we identified as something that, that are fairly easy to recover uh, with the skill set that we have. The refurbishment and recertification are also fairly easy to do. Uh, and it means that then, as I said, the, the delivery times are also reduced. So when you can refurbish and do things that way, you can, you can turn things around faster you don't have to manufacture new uh, and also the clients who already have uh, existing equipment as i said that, that doesn't necessarily quite fit what they want can be converted and changed into what they want so again you're not you're not starting from fresh every single time you want to connect there was always a, a an ethos around oil and gas that uh, everything that goes out is new everything that goes out is made by the original operator manufacturer. Now that that has changed over time. Um, the, the, the bigger companies they they supply some great products, but sometimes the, the the focus for the new product outweighs the focus. Well, especially in the past, the focus for clean production, reuse, recycling, refurbishment. Now, a lot of companies are, are starting to see that now, especially when they're, they're getting into their decommissioning phases where they're bringing back in a lot of equipment and even as little as five, six years ago, decommissioning, again, was just seen as something that had to be done, just get the stuff out, get it away, deal with it. Whereas now there are more companies that are willing to look at, well, we don't just want to just bring it back, bin it and... And, and that's it. We want to see if there, there are other options there. Uh, some great examples of what they did with the, obviously, the Aberdeen Exhibition Centre. They used 
uh, old old systems and uh, piping to, to pile drive the foundations in order to actually support from it. And that that's the sort of area where there's there's a lot more that can be done. And and we work a lot with with our partners and with our clients in order to show them that there is stuff they can do more. And and they are they are coming around. They're they're seeing that there's things they can do here to to save themselves money, to be more responsible, and and to to give themselves a, a better future as well. That sounds like it sounds very much like a win-win for sort of the companies and the clients as well. And it's it's good to see that there is an opportunity that can be gained in the sort of the decommissioning phase as well. It's definitely, oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah, it's definitely important. So, um, you touched a little bit earlier. Well, I'm I'm a journalism student. I'm set to graduate 2022, and I know a lot of people of my age, they perhaps uh they they aren't quite sure what to make of the energy industry as a career option as you said earlier maybe there's some sort of misconceptions about the past and sort of they don't really look behind the traditional oil and gas aspects what do you think you would say to the next generation of university graduates and people who are looking to get into the energy industry um have have hope that's that's the main one um i guess i know when we were talking about energy energy encompasses your, your oil and gas, it encompasses your renewables and, and everything. And a lot of companies that were just oil and gas are, are seeing that and are changing changing their names, changing their, their method statements of how they want to do things. They want to be involved in renewables because energy encompasses it all. Now, a lot of the stuff that you have to do, it's, it's interchangeable skill sets. So your a subsea wet mate connection for oil and gas is the same as a subsea wet mate connection for renewables. It's just slightly higher voltage depending on the system that you're looking at. So the, the systems actually do meet each other. And, it, and it's trying to make sure that we can support both systems going forwards. Uh, obviously, oil and gas, it's a finite resource that we're talking about that is going to, to gradually fade away. But there's a lot of years in there and there's a lot of requirements still for everything that it actually brings to us. Um, but the, the renewable side, all the companies are, are investing money in it. I think they're, they're talking billions per year of investment over, over the next five, 10 years as, as the initial setup. And then we'll see where it goes from there, because if we want to replace the entire infrastructure with renewables, then again, you're going to have to have a whole skill set there to actually support the industry. Um, oil and gas is, is uniquely placed with, as I said, the infrastructure, but also the, the techniques and the technological expertise in order to actually switch across from one industry to the other. Just sort of going further on that, do you think there's enough being done within the industry to kind of get away from that almost image of it being a bit dirty and sort of old fashioned? I think there's a, there's a lot being done, but there's, there's two there's two sides to every coin. I mean... Oil and gas companies, they this is how they make their money. Uh, it's the same for any business. If you've got a business that is has been making 100% of its money from oil and gas for the last 20 years, they're not going to suddenly change and go, well, no, we're not doing oil and gas anymore at all. We're just going to do renewables. We're going to start again because that would be, be socially irresponsible uh, for, for their workforce and everything as well. So... Yeah, there is probably more that companies could do, but again, it, it is going to be a gradual change and a shift. And, and it, I think there's a lot of people, I mean, as I said most large companies do have some form of renewables sanction 
actually being incorporated into their company in order to actually get them and move them across. As they identify more and more opportunities, then then the shift will actually be bigger. Um, but we're we're a few years away from that, I think, as well. Well, I suppose it's called the energy transition for a reason, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find your company on social media, that kind of thing? Uh, so we've got our new website that's set up, which is just www.jandes.co.uk. So it's spelled out J-A-N-D-S. Uh, we are on LinkedIn and we're also on Facebook. If you want to, to look us up and follow us, we've got the J plus S sub C moniker. So anyone who wants to actually have a look, see the sort of things that we do. We are advertising for, for actually expanding our workforce at the moment as well. So again, there's job opportunities there and there's certainly things people can, can look at and get involved in if, they, if they're interested. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Well, uh, be sure to go and have a look at J plus S on their website and socials. I'm sure you find it very interesting. I've certainly found it very interesting. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you.